0: From Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Maria Coop. This is Film Club. A podcast series where youth film critics and cultural connoisseurs spill the theoretical tea on a new movie. Slashback tells the story of a group of teenage Inuit girls living in the community of Pang near the Arctic Circle in Canada. When an alien invasion threatens their town, it's up to the girls to take them on. In this special episode, we're hearing from the film's director and co-writer, Nyla Nukshuk. She grew up in Nunavut, the territory of Canada that Pang is in. She spoke with Atme producers Ezra Dan and Kendrick Whiteman about the making of Slashback. Before we get into their conversation, though, let's hear a clip from Slashback. In this scene, the girls have just survived a scrape with one of the aliens who had killed and taken the form of one of the locals. How sucky if you're like an alien and you're so hot for buck. You gotta go everywhere to vacuum it up. Like, obviously, we're going to make a real mess. There's blood there and blood here. And oh, my. Look like at all the blood there. That's because, okay, what is just start murdering your BF. I'm just saying. The perfume. What? If the
1: perfume wasn't for Tic Tac, who was it for? Oh, my God. Dude, really? All you did was flirt with him. I thought friends had each other's back. It's an established fact that I liked him first. He was talking to me. I tried to get you to talk to him, but you were all like quiet and
2: like looking at the ground. Whatever, you are like, blah, blah. I like KFC, your mother's artwork sucks. I was just talking back, holy. I don't even like him. He's
1: got that lip fur, which is just gross. His mustache is cute. Fine, like what am I supposed to say? Say you don't like him. I just did. That's sushi. she just did. All right? Fine, fine. Can we go back to hunting a blood-sucking alien? I'm a big fan of your movie Slashback. First, I saw it uh, in Anchorage at the local independent uh, theater called Beartooth. Then I bought it.
2: Oh, awesome.
1: Yeah, it was cool. I, I, I went with my parents and
3: my older brother.
2: Oh, that's amazing. That's, that's so much fun. I'm so glad it was playing there in the theater.
3: Yeah. Uh, Ezra told me to check it out uh, because he, he liked it so much. And um, I have to say, I'm also a fan of your work as well. I uh, saw that you, um, I, I, if I'm correct, um, didn't Slashback play at uh, South by Southwest?
2: Yeah, it was at South by Southwest last March. And it was really fun because we got to bring uh, the entire teenage cast down to Texas with us. And and that was just really fun for all of us. We we shot the movie. Actually, it's been almost three years now since we since we made it. So they've kind of grown up a bit, and um and so it was really good to kind of just hang out and just celebrate the the hard work.
3: Oh, that is amazing. Um, it, it's it's always great to hear about stories of um particular native films or native films being made in local communities. Uh, getting played in theaters and then getting distribution, and um, in particular, this film has been getting a lot of um, acclaim, seemingly across the board from uh, critics and audiences, which again is the win for native cinema.
2: Yeah, it's. I, thank you. Um, I think it's a really exciting time for for indigenous the indigenous screen community. It's. I I, I think it in the U S and it definitely feels like that here in Canada. um, That there's been a shift that, you know, a, a lot of my friends who have been making movies before me have been talking about a lot of these things like indigenous screen sovereignty and narrative screen sovereignty, the right to tell our own stories and, and they've been talking about these things for a really long time. And now it's really interesting, because now we're hearing it from audiences and broadcasters and streamers and the people that are financing movies as well that they they get it, that they that there's something that is actually kind of cool and special that can happen when uh, movies are made from diverse perspectives and and that when stories come from within the community that they can feel different and and that the stories uh can be really diverse too um that that there's movies that are serious and and movies that are are funny and and there can also be movies that are silly and scary too
0: sweet
1: cool i was looking at some reviews online of Slashback a few weeks ago and while we were preparing for the interview and um I saw a variety magazine um called it The Thing meets Attack the Block uh (laughs) referring to the John Carpenter classic and the 2011 British sci-fi movie. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what was your initial idea for flashback, and how did it develop over time?
2: Yeah, I think that the initial idea was um, to make something that felt kind of like the movies that I watched growing up as a kid, but in uh, the in the place that I also grew up and had adventures with my brothers and cousins, and so. Um, you know, me and my brothers, we watched so much Indiana Jones and ET and The Goonies and Stand by Me and and those kind of coming of age adventure movies. Um, so that's kind of where this thing kind of started. And and just for for myself, the the way I kind of got into movies was really just as a fan. And and right from a very young age, I was I was really kind of obsessed with horror movies um kind of probably from the time I was a little too young and 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 I think it was there's something that's kind of fun about watching something and feeling like you're getting away with something and and to be uh to be honest like watching movies is actually a pretty safe way to do to get away with something so um and to kind of explore um, different fears and and that sort of thing and so um it was really fun to actually be working with these teenage uh teenage kids uh, teenage girls and and Rory um and and think about when I was a 13 14 year old and and by that time I was Really, kind of obsessed with movies and and scary movies in particular, and so those kinds of things influenced the movie as well. So in the end, it kind of was this mix of genres of sci-fi, coming of age, adventure, horror, um, and uh, yeah. So that's kind of that's kind of how it um, the idea started, and and I knew I kind of wanted to make a movie like this, and then I visited the community of Pang for the first time. Um, I think I was 21, maybe 20. Uh, I was shooting a documentary ab- about this tradition of square dancing that exists in different communities. Um, in my home community of Aglulik, the community of Pang is one where it's, it's really popular. And it's it was brought over by these Scottish whalers in the 1800s and now in in certain communities it's considered inuit tradition so so we have like accordion music fiddle and and dances that look a lot like um scottish square dances and so um so i was making a documentary about that and then fell in love with this community of peng and and hanging out with some of the teenagers there i was like wow i think they could take on an alien invasion if if they if they wanted to and it was just such a stunning stunning place um, and my nephews are from there. So it was, it kind of in the end when it came around to, uh, making the movie, uh, it was just kind of fun for me to think of making this, um, alien invasion movie that was for my nephews, That kind of takes place in their hometown.
3: No, oh, that's awesome. Your, your love for horror really shines through, especially with, um, the creature design, um, giving me a lot of, uh, again, strong John Carpenter vibes. Um, but veering on from that, uh, Slashback is considered the first Inuit science fiction feature-length film. Is it safe to say you have a passion for science fiction?
2: Yeah, I I guess so. I definitely like thinking about interesting, interesting scenarios. And I, I think that it, uh, the ones that are... Uh, I guess the ones that interest me the most are the ones that I feel like could realistically happen almost. Um, so I'm I'm more curious about stuff that happens closer to real life and how we would we would deal with it than um, maybe I don't know. But I also am curious about other planets and that sort of thing too. I've I've honestly liked aliens. I was thinking about it um, in grade seven so I don't know how 12 years old or something that I somehow figured out a way to convince my teachers that I could use aliens as the subject of my science fair project so all year everyone else is like working on volcanoes and and like real science and and I was um I was researching aliens
3: (laughs) I wouldn't say that's not real science (laughs) One thing personally I loved about the film was the atmosphere um, that I have had a hard time describing or putting into words other than, I guess, new wave. (laughs) The film has a great use of sound and music, Um, particularly the soundtrack was amazing. Uh, Are there any specific stylistic influences you had um, while making the film? Any film you had in mind or um, any sort of feeling you were trying to achieve?
2: Yeah, well, one thing that we kind of wanted was to make sure that the girls it kind of felt like um, it that it's that it, although it's an alien invasion movie, there's also elements of it that kind of feel um like how they how they um interact and and live their lives as teenagers. Um and and part of that is like being really bored, and and then also I think that if we we my co-writer Ryan Caven and I we realized as we were hanging out with the girls that even if they were facing um, an alien invasion that they would still somehow find a way to be talking about um, boys, <laughs> and so figuring out how to way uh, uh, how to how to mix that in was kind of fun.
1: Yeah, that's it's interesting how you kind of added that into the movie. <laughs> um when I was re-watching the movie last night um in the beginning credits of the movie, I noticed that there's two uh separate casting calls, one in Toronto and another in Payne. So could you talk a little bit about uh casting process and how that worked?
2: Yeah. So that really was out of um, the casting kind of came out of necessity, the the way it came about. Um, so when I started casting for the movie, it was casting the proof of concept. And that was because uh, at first I had this idea to make a movie, but I had never directed a feature film like this before. I'd never um, uh, it was. I needed to kind of show that I was the right person to be able to take on this project, and I also had to prove. Um, get, get, I want. I thought that to have a little short film or short proof of concept, it could help show uh, funders or producers this kind of uh, sense of tone of what what I wanted the movie to be like. So um, I got a bit of money from um, the Nunavut Film Commission in in Nunavut and. Uh, so really I didn't have a lot of money so I went and was staying at my parents house in Nihaluit, Nunavut, and casting out of a local arts organization and we did this casting call that was just um, uh, act- actually more like an acting workshop so we were asking any teenage girls interested in acting could come and spend a weekend with me and Christine Tutu who is a local theater actor because um, I myself am not an actor but um, I worked with Christine to kind of come up with a, a series of workshops, and it was, and then we also had pages from this script that I'd written for a proof of concept. So uh, through that process, we found a lot of the girls that ended up acting in the in the final feature: um, Alexis, Nala Joss, um Chelsea. So that's Jesse, Uki, and um, Alina, and. Um, and so in that and that's how we kind of came to to cast that. and And then, when it came to casting the the rest of the cast, it's still we, you, the way funding works is you kind of don't get the money until uh, in, at least in Canada, a lot of our funding until um, really close to when we had to film. So I was having to still be casting um up in Nunavut in a Halloween with uh, very little resources, but finding some great talent um and then when we got to pang that's where uh because we were filming the movie movie in in the community of pang that's where we hired everyone else so um and that was its own challenge too because lots of people uh, there there has never been a movie that had shot there before a feature length film so um finding people that wanted to come out and act for uh over the course of a month um that was kind of a process and we did find some really great people uh some of them told us definitively they would never act again afterwards um they wouldn't even record a um, voiceover recording afterwards just to if we needed it it was like um, it was really funny so um but then others like jackie who plays the father he was fantastic he had never acted before he's a local hunter and he I think he would definitely be up for acting again. And he was so great and you can really see the ways ways in which he and the and the teenage cast really grew as actors over the course of making the movie. Um, one of the things that the girls sometimes say to me is like, oh, we wish that we could do it again because we would do such a better job this time. But I think it's kind of great that you can see the way that they grew and that we have we all of us have an example of, where we were at this particular time in our, in, um, movie making.
3: Oh, yeah. I really thought it was amazing. Especially how a lot of those people, um, at a certain point, it was really easy to fall into because everyone just seemed like they belonged there and (laughs) they had such a natural way of interacting with each other that (laughs) at a certain point, it just feels like you're putting a camera on them, especially with all their little like childisms or like (laughs) immature little like uh, jokes, you know, it it all just feels like, um, (laughs) I don't know. Thank you. You you definitely garnered an atmosphere and the way you um, let the people do their thing really helped the world building of this film.
2: Thanks. Yeah, it was, I think it was really interesting because sometimes people ask if there was a lot of improvisation that was happening on the, on the day of shooting but really it what what they were saying were the lines from the script and didn't really change uh, outside of a couple of lines where they would say hey I think I would probably say this instead of this and it would mostly be in the phrasing and then of course I would say yeah absolutely however you would say it um I think a lot of what happened was we spent a lot of time Ryan Cab and my co-writer and I hanging out with girls and a lot of the time we were hanging out with the girls that ended up acting in the movie and so we were hearing the way they would talk and um the things that they would talk about and sometimes like with chelsea for instance who plays lena um the scene that happens with her and her parents in in the kit in in the over the dining dining room table when when they ask for her phone and and they kind of look through her phone and and That's something that um, Chelsea told us that happens at home is I never had that where I never grew up with cell phones, first of all, Um, but then to have a a parent be like, give me your phone and then look through and be able to see who you were talking to. Like that was really um, that was really interesting. So but it it was also really funny later that right before when we were in Texas, right before we were going to watch the movie with our families because Chelsea's parents were there for the premiere. I talked to Chelsea, I said, do your parents know that that scene's in there, that we took it basically from real life? And she's like, I don't know, I think so. And we kind of laughed about it. And her parents said they really liked the movie, of course. So it was, um, but those kinds of things were where we could kind of maybe borrow a little bit, or just borrow from conversations, maybe. And then, um, and then that's, in part, why it was um, easier for them to kind of you say the lines in a natural way. And, and because we've worked together for a really long time, um, basically over the course of, we've known each other for nearly six years, five years. So it's, um, and the girls have known each other that long too, uh, these really kind of foundational teenage years. Um, so even, so we were all living together and the girls all lived together in us, in the school that we all had to turn the, the classrooms of the high school and the grade school into our living situations. So we shipped up 60 beds and mattresses and we turned, we put two beds for every classroom and that's how our crew and cast lived. So our girls lived each with a roommate and beside each other. So they're really living together hanging out together outside of school, I mean, outside of work, and then also working together. It was very intense and they could have gotten into fights and it it could have been terrible. And there were, but it was like, um, instead there was just so much trust and love. And if there were frustrations, then at the end, we were able to deal with it. Um, And that's what was, um, uh, So special about the group, and and um, why it continues to be so great that we that we like hanging out with each other.
3: I think that's amazing. Uh, Garnering an environment like that on set is seemingly impossible sometimes because there's always so many problems. And considering if you got like over fifty people living in a high school, it seems like everyone would be on edge. (laughs) (laughs) And it seems like it, it could be a bit scary but again it's a testament to how I guess great it is that the film was finished and that despite the circumstances of working in such a remote location (laughs) um I think it's amazing
2: yeah I think yeah thank you for appreciating just how challenging yeah that it could be because it and just how stressful um the film environment is. Um, this was the first time I'd ever directed a movie before, like a feature length movie. And so it was, I was feeling like I was learning a million lessons uh, a day. And now in the I'm I'm now preparing to shoot another movie, hopefully in the fall. And the way I'm 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 approaching it, it's really I'm like thinking about how can I make sure I'm not in that situation again. Suggests so because you're right, it is so stressful and you want it to be in an environment. Sometimes you're doing, it's really emotional work and you're doing it with a group of people. And so um, you just want to be as prepared as possible because when things come up then you've thought of plan B and C and then, because actually a lot of the magic actually comes in those moments when you're figuring things out and, and um, having that flexibility. Um, is really important. And then also having the, the preparedness beforehand will give you the confidence to know what you want and then be also give you with that confidence. It makes it so you're open to more ideas and you're able to, to be open to other people's ideas and, and, um, not, and, you know, allow yourself to be challenged by them, and see what comes up and and there there will be lots of other things that will challenge you like budget limitations and and those kinds of things and um but I think also within that there's there's always um, something kind of neat that can come out of um out of those restraints
1: that's really cool and it's and it's interesting that you had to come up with so many beds for these people and like kind of a bizarre um spot. Um I was wondering if um there was any local premiere for slashback in Pang?
2: Yeah. So it was really important for us to go and do a local screening. Um, and it was something that we were the most excited about, but then also the most nervous about because it's like the I kind of, for me, the way I think about movies, um, and this is, I, I haven't always thought about sla- even slashback this way, but now I've come around to it and moving forward, I'm going to, I try and think about it this way is like, it's kind of my job to try and make the movie and make the movie as good as possible. What, how other people receive it is kind of up to them. And, and if I, I know with, how I feel about a movie and if I feel like I could do better or that sort of thing. Um, But um, when it came to, to paying, it's like, you know, I did really, really care about how the community felt because I just wanted them to feel good about it and, and to have it because it, it, um, in a way it's less about how, what the critics think or or um, how well it does, you know, by other financial metrics. What's if the community hates it, then that would be a real bummer for me. Um, so that's that's a, and the girls could feel it too that we just wanted to make the community proud. And so going up and showing the movie. It was so much fun, and and it was great because we were, we. it had been a couple of years since we'd spent a bit of time in in Pang at that point because of the pandemic, and um, we'd gone back for a bit of shooting, but even then we couldn't really visit people because of the pandemic, and so um, to be there, to be with, see all our friends again for the teenage girls, a lot of their friends had, had gotten um, uh, snowmobiles and and Uh, could take them out they were immediately off on adventures and uh, visiting with friends and and it was great just to catch up with everyone and then to share the movie and and seeing seeing Madeline who plays Uki's grandmother jump up and be like it's me it's me and everybody's laughing it was really really cool and then and um, and the uh, so it's just we, I I went to a which is my home community Uh, just last week. I got back a couple days ago with Alexis um, who plays Jesse in the movie and it was so much fun. She was just being followed around the entire time by a group of teenagers who had all watched the movie a bunch, but then we also did some screenings in the gym um, and also gave out DVDs and stuff because there were, you know, um, uh, and we'd heard in Pang that there were people watching, someone had j- downloaded the movie, but then filmed it all on their cell phone and were giving out copies of the movie on a USB keys. And which is, you know, I want everyone to be able to watch the movie however they can get it. But I want them to be watching as good a quality as possible. So so when we went out to Aglulu, we just brought up a bunch of DVDs and we're sending them out and giving them out as well. Um, because as you guys probably know in Alaska it, it might be on crave which is a streaming service but it, it, b- then you have to buy crave and then you also have to have the internet to to get that and and it can be really challenging sometimes and and in Nunavut it can be really expensive um, so yeah getting into the communities and showing the movie and and figuring out other ways for for people to access it is is really important and also just so much fun and and i think rewarding uh, especially for the teenage cast
3: well i imagine it must have been a, a big deal for a lot of them especially because well everyone always dreams of the movies and to have the movies being brought to your home here <laughs> um if you're living in a remote area it must be a kind of a big thing you know yeah I, i'm sure everyone there appreciated it one thing I was curious about is, can you tell us a bit about the use of practical and special effects in the movie?
2: Yeah, so um, I love practical effects. I, even if they can look a little bit campy and weird sometimes, I think that's kind of cool. And and we had mentioned briefly in our conversation, the movie, The Thing. Um, and I love the, movie, the, the practical effects in that movie. Um, that's a horror movie kind of set in an Arctic, uh, community. So it was, um, that was kind of fun for me to play around with. And, and, and so working with, um, some practical effects, people to figure out how exactly we would build them. And then also how we could get someone to move around inside these suits that we've built. So we got, um, we had, uh, um Troy James, who's this amazing, um, who's this amazing contortionist, he can actually just he's double jointed in every single joint, I guess, and he can just do the craziest things. So um, we It turned out that he lived in Toronto, which is where I live, so I was able to get in touch with him and, and we had the actors playing the characters that would turn into aliens, we would make these skin suits out of them and then have Troy. (laughs) be turning into the to the actors as aliens whenever we were shooting shooting them as aliens Um, and then we also had this stunt guy Ophelio who would be the the creatures whenever they were doing stunts or whenever we needed two aliens on the screen at the same time Um, and and then of course we did some enhancements with some some VFX and and (laughs) with the there's an attack by a bear at one point and Believe it or not, that was shot with a a full bear puppet thing that that Troy would wear. But he has he it only fit him if he was walking upside down, so his face is looking up at the sky, and his so he like Exorcist style, um, and so not comfortable at all. So we filmed that whole scene of him running down a hill in that bear suit. Um, and it looked insane and I thought it looked so cool, but it also looked crazy and, and a little bit too weird. So we ended up having to replace it all with the CG bear, um, but using a lot of his movements as reference, um, to, to kind of give that jerky effect and, and then a lot of, um, so, so Troy's movements were, um, really essential even in the, in the CG elements and, even the way the tentacles moved, we would kind of base them off of the kind of jerkiness that that Troy uh, Troy developed, and that was us kind of sitting in uh, rehearsal spaces, kind of trying to figure out how you would move if your body was filled with these tentacles that could all kind of move independently. Um, and and so that was kind of this fun fun process to to figure out, and and I kind of think about moths as like I really dislike moths and part of the reason well I think the reason is because of like their sporadic movements the ways in which they move so strangely and and so that's kind of was um was just kind of trying to find a way to have these creatures especially in human form it's like how how is it that they're moving in a way that's that they're in a human body but it just doesn't look human at all.
0: We'll be right back. Alaska Teen Media Institute is looking for youth to join our team. As a youth producer, you can conduct interviews like the one you're listening to right now, edit audio, record voiceovers, help write scripts, and much more. And all of that is paid work. And get this, while we are based in Anchorage, you don't have to be there to work with us. A lot of the work we do is done remotely. So if you are between the ages of 13 and 24, living in Alaska, and interested in joining at me, go to alaskateenmedia.org join. You can also email us at news at Let's hear another clip from the Slashback. In this scene, the girls try to make sense of a run-in they had with what appeared to be a polar bear.
1: What was it, Ego Iro tried to take me. It was not ego. Don't even. What was it then? It was just an effed-up bear. What makes an ego? Shape-shifting, children stealing. What's this thing do? Pretend to be a bear and steal Ayu? Iro. That's Inuk nonsense. There's no Ego, no Sedna, and no Halupuli. Just stupid old people stories made up because they didn't have
0: internet yet. What's an Elock? Elok are things that live in two worlds. Two worlds? If you go far enough north, there's a whole other world. If you go far enough north, you'll
1: start going south.
0: When Eloch comes to our world, they can disguise themselves as anything. And when they do, they snatch children, bring them back to their world.
1: Why do they take children? Because it makes no sense. It's dumb Enoch stuff
0: and only dumb Inuk you fall for it now. You think you know all that, but it's only people who think they know all that, who really don't know anything. Ask your doctor, he'll tell you, the great hunter. Feel free to shut up about my dad.
1: Hey, since you know so much and you're such a good little Inuk anyway, why don't you go out there and hunt that thing with all your great skills? Then you can come back and prove us all wrong. Seriously. I dare you, go out there. I noticed while I was watching the movie, um, in some scenes, it feels like the the girls are kind of turning their back on like traditional Inuit um, culture and customs. And there seems to be this sense among them that they want to find they want to try to find their own sense of place outside of this culture Mm -hmm. that's very isolated and very like kind of specific to them and i i kind of related to that a lot because i'm i'm ubic and my mom she's from a village and i i grew up in the city and so one review i read um kind of talked about like this shame
3: Mm
2: -hmm.
1: that Native people can have kind of yeah, and I was just wondering why why did you want to portray this dynamic between generations in terms of like how close they are to their uh, culture
2: yeah, I thought that was a really important thing to kind of include um, and for for inuit and um, for Inuit and Nunavut the changes in the way life our the way we live our life has changed so drastically in just a few generations um in Canada we had residential schools where children were brought to to school to schools within these communities that were made specifically for the existence of these schools Um, and they were run by priests and nuns and they were the, the kids were punished for speaking their language or practicing their culture and um and so there it created a lot of shame um and and then even within the the girls and and hanging out with them and developing the script and certainly with myself like I I remember um kind of as a teenager you're trying to figure out who you are I think about any teenager is you're trying to figure out who who you are where you fit in you really notice the ways in which you don't fit in um and then as an indigenous person as um a mixed race person you're trying to find out where exactly your indigeneity fits in And, um, and with talking with the girls, it was really, it was really kind of important for us to explore that there was, that we were obviously very proud of where we came from. And pride was a big part of our conversations about why we even wanted to be doing the work we were doing. Um, But then with pride, you also have to talk about shame and recognize shame and and the ways in which shame can exist in our language um, the the sometimes the girls would say something like oh that's so inuk. and they would mean it about something that they didn't like and I would ask about what they meant by that and so we have to kind of break it down and talk about you know the the shame that that's in our language and that um, that if we're wanting to be proud indigenous women, which we all agreed we did want to be, that we had to start talking about ourselves using prideful language. Um, and even even just recognizing that and then make trying to consciously make that shift, um, can you can change the way you even think about yourself? And and so for uh the character of Micah and all of the girls, it was this um this story about about really for for her this this daughter of a hunter who's facing this invasion from an alien threat um that she has to realize that one her community is a place that's worth saving and that two that she and her friends might actually be really capable and uniquely capable of, of taking them on. Um, and so that was kind of the, what Micah was going through. And it's been really so great. Um, even the process of making a movie has been really um, confidence building for me. Um, and I've certainly grown in the process of, of going through this experience and talking to the, to the young actors. Um, you know, they talk about having experience this kind of experience that is is not dissimilar to the one the the characters in the movie of of kind of dealing with some hard challenges and and um, and really, it was so wonderful for me in in Texas, in Austin, at South by Southwest, um, seeing the girls so proud to represent their community and where they're from and and Chelsea was wearing, jewelry that she had beaded herself. And, and she spoke to the audience in in Inuktitut. Um, And none of them, she knew that none of them could understand Inuktitut, but it was important for her to be, um, to be speaking to them in her language um, and thanking them. So it, and it was really uh, inspiring for me to see that.
3: One thing I was interested in particular, because I was a personally a big fan of the film. If I'm right, you produced the VR proof of concept short that became Night Raiders, uh, correct?
2: Yeah, yeah, that was um, something that was really kind of fun. Uh, I love VR and interactive stuff. And I loved also Danis um who is the director of Night Raiders. Uh, she's someone who has uh, always been advocating for the Indigenous green community in Canada. Um, and she had th- through her work at Imaginative, but then also different kind of um, advocacy work she's done at at TIFF and, and then now through her own work. And so um, when uh, I had, I kind of, I, I'm a big nerd. I love I love VR and AR and and mixed reality and all that kind of stuff. And and so, I was really excited about the idea of developing with Imaginative and and the Tiff Bell Lightbox this exhibit called Twenty One Sixty Seven, which was imagining Canada because Canada's kind of young. We just uh, in 2017 celebrated our 150th birthday as a country, and. Um, for a lot of Indigenous people in Canada, it was kind of a weird thing. It felt a little strange to be celebrating. Um, and so instead, we thought to imagine what Canada would look like 150 years in the future, the year 2167, from an Indigenous perspective. Um, so different artists were involved. I got to work with Kent Monkman to, to develop his piece, which was really beautiful. Um, and then also Dennis Goulet, who had never worked in that medium before, but she's so um really, really brilliant and creative. And so she developed this idea um that you know was that I, or I'm sure she had already kind of been developing it, but developed it for, for VR. And um at the time, the role of kind of the the drone hunter. Um, was, uh, Deborah Jacobs, another amazing, an amazing director who is an actor in Reservation Dogs, but she also directs and writes on that show. Um, and so it was, I think it's just such an, um, supportive community, the, uh, specifically around the Ima- Imaginative Film Festival and the Indigenous Screen Office now in Canada. Um, and it's so great to, you know, be going through the process of making movies and developing things and being able to check in with each other and, and ask for advice. And, and, um, and Danis is always a couple steps ahead of me. So, so she's she's getting into TV and she's now directed, she's finished directing her second movie and is, is on to the next. And then I've got friends like Zoe Hopkins who made an amazing romantic comedy on, set on the res called Run Woman Run. That's really about self-love and family. Um, and just being able to talk to them about what, what they're doing and how they, how they go about doing their work, how they do it in a way that um, can be empowering to their communities um yeah it's it's such a great it's such a great resource and and then also with Dennis and other um there's quite a few other filmmakers that are kind of working in the genre space
3: yeah i, I personally um would consider myself a fan also of um yeah denise Goulet and um uh i think you did um a bit of work with a uh, jeff barnaby if i'm correct
2: yeah, Jeff was a part of that project, too. I didn't work as extensively with him. Um, and uh, but like like with Dennis, we were always kind of on these panels together and could check in with each other about about approach and the the work we were developing. And um, and he had such a creative way of of thinking about telling stories. And it was really easy for him to translate between film and then this with with his 2167 piece was really this ambitious super ambitious post apocalyptic um almost like video game worlds that was that was really really cool so was so happy and and honored to work with him as well
1: so i remember earlier in the interview you talked about how much you were influenced by pop culture as a kid and um That kind of reminded me of um, an NPR interview uh, I read uh, that they did with Sterling Harjo, the creator of uh, FX Reservation Dogs. Yeah. I was wondering nowadays that it's a lot more common to see native actors, producers, and like directors in native movies or TV shows like Reservation Dogs, or uh, the new AMC show, Dark Winds. Mm-hmm. And so, I was just wondering, what impact do you hope your work as a filmmaker could have on Indigenous representation in film and on TV?
2: Yeah, I. Um, it is so exciting to see the different ways in which we're the we're able to represent ourselves and the it the fact that we are all making things that are so different from each other and working with each other, it just uh, goes to show that there's just such a diverse range of stories that that can be coming out of our communities. And you know, I think that it can feel sometimes like a lot of pressure to be representing um the last 100 years of cinema where we haven't been heard um i don't think that i can possibly do that i can i can try and represent myself um i can try and work with with, with communities and and work with um, work with other artists to, to, to try and tell stories that feel representative of our communities um and i think that hopefully, you know, by, um, by, uh, I, when I was, when I was younger, I was in high school and I would just make movies with my friends and and they would be so, so dumb. <laughs> they would be so silly, uh, about us balancing, uh, about a group of kids that were really good at balancing broomsticks, for instance, and then got get recruited to compete in these competitions or a dog that, um, decides to kill his entire human family um it just like really silly stuff but it was how I figured out that I just loved doing it um but it didn't for me feel like it was important um because it was just so silly and so dumb (laughs) but it just also felt like it was what I needed to be doing and and when I would and I think when you're a teenager when you're a young person you really struggle with maybe thinking like oh you have to figure out what you have to do for the rest of your life right now in in a way you kind of do like there is a lot of pressure when you're 17 18 um and for me I was wondering if I should be doing something more important uh for my community maybe being I don't know I was also interested in psychology and so I but um in the end, I, I decided to go to film school. I, I also went to this, I had, to, had an opportunity to go to the special program in high school where we just made movies all the time. Um, like from in the morning we did these media training classes and then in the afternoon we had access to, uh, well, just mini TV cameras. Um, and then, but, but editing suites that had Final Cut Pro. And so we could use professional editing equipment and just learn the language of, of making movies um, and then I that's when I kind of realized I liked it enough to go to film school and and then even after that I was like should I be making more important movies um, One of my c- really good friends and collaborators colleagues Lihy Arnaco Beri she's a, an amazing um, activist documentary filmmaker among many other things she now is like doing narrative stuff tv fiction uh, and and so it's but she she i kind of was looking up to people like her and and aletheia and her work and being like well that's important and seeing movies that i liked like scream two and uh jaws as maybe um not only you know maybe not that important but people could say it's like harmful or something um and so uh but but you know, it's so being able to. I think, just um, at a certain point, I think I've you you try you kind of have to just try and and be doing things that you're passionate about because this is really really hard work. Making movies is really hard. So so if you're going to be putting all that work in, it should be something you're really passionate about. Um, whether it's uh, you know what any anything you know, whatever it is. And um, so and, and and try and uh, at least represent at least represent myself, and then hopefully, you know, through through that work, you try and build capacity and and hope that other people might, you know, be inspired to kind of make their own kind of thing, um, and and that it, and I think it is it, it what was uh, being in a glue lick last week. It, I think it was with Alexis. I could see that it was important for the kids to see a movie that was in a community that was like theirs and see the actor right there looking like them. You know, she's a teenager, just like they are. She could go to their high school. And, um, but then also there she was in this movie that they've watched a bunch at home and now they're watching together at a community screening that they can, um, that seeing ourselves reflected is is important, that it kind of validates us. Um and and I think in one of the kids that came up to me, he said that he was like, It's weird that you guys would spend so much money on something so silly. <laughs> and I said, Yeah, I know it's really funny, isn't it? I was like, but I think it's sometimes important to make Things that are funny too, or silly, um, and that to have our see ourselves refle- reflected in scenarios that are that are fun and having adventures, because of course that's we we do.
3: No, I feel like that's um, honestly a really great message. I, I really want to thank you for everything. Um, you've given some really good uh, tidbits of advice, and it was really nice hearing about your process making this film, and also some of the challenges and. Um, I don't know, it, it really gives some perspective. And also, again, like i said earlier, really makes me appreciate the fact that this film got made and as is, is good as it is, because I think it's a win for um, native cinema. And not only that, it's just a good movie. So yeah, I'd like to thank you uh, very much for um, coming here with us today and talking to us and uh, telling us about your film.
1: Yeah, thanks for taking the time out every day to meet with us. I appreciate that a lot.
2: Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I had fun.
0: That was At Me Producers Ezra Dan and Kendrick Whiteman speaking with Naila Anukshup, director and co-writer of the film Slashback. You've been listening to Film Club, a production of Alaska Teen Media Institute. Our show's theme music was composed by Kendrick Whiteman. Alaska Teen Media Institute is based in Anchorage, Alaska. We would like to acknowledge the D'Nina people whose land we work on. Many thanks to the supporters of our podcast, including the Alaska Community Foundation through the 2022 Healthy Communities Arts Culture Play Grant. The views expressed in this program do not necessarily represent the views of our sponsors. Thanks to our listeners who contribute to our programs and help us leverage additional funds and grants. If you'd like to support youth voices in Alaska that keep our podcast going, you can support us through Patreon. It's a membership platform that makes it easy for you to support creative endeavors like Atme. Just go to patreon.com slash Media. You can also help out by subscribing to, rating, or writing a review of our podcast on Apple Podcasts. And if you are a youth ages 13 to 24 who loves movies and is interested in being part of our film club, go to alaskateenmedia.org join. Or you can email us at news at alaskateenmedia.org. we on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alaska Teen Media. Follow us for all sorts of updates. For Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Maria Koop. Thanks for listening.